I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're The Editing Podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Editing Podcast. So this week, we're delighted to welcome a special guest, novelist and screenwriter, Rich Leader. Welcome to Rich. It's so lovely to have you here from Wilmington in North Carolina. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, it's so lovely to have you, Rich. (laughs) So listen, we got to know each other when I edited your latest novel, Cooking for Cannibals, which we'll talk about later. But um, while it was the beginning of our journey together, um, you're no beginner. You've written six novels, 11 feature films. I think I've counted this up all right. 11 feature films, two short films, and 16 TV shows. Is that right? Uh... I, I will say that, oh, yes, that's more or less correct. I, I, the total number of scripts, screenplays I've written is 50. And of, wow. of those, uh, 19 have been produced. And of those, 18 have been television films and uh, one feature film, which came out this past November called Primal, and it starred Nick Cage. Gosh, Rich, we have got such a lot to talk about. (laughs) So can we start with you? Actually, I think a good place um, to start would be if you could talk us through um, the differences between writing a screenplay and a novel from scratch um, and whether you've actually ever converted one into the other. And if so, what were the problems that you had to focus on? That's a big question, but I'm just going to set you running with that one. No, that's good. I'm, I'm here I go. Uh, to, to start from scratch means to understand your story and your characters and your beats. That's the same for me, whatever I'm writing. I, I can't write till I know what it is I'm supposed to write. So I'm going to figure out what all my beats are. I'm going to get to know my characters. I'm going to do all my research. I'm going to make tons of notes. That is the same for me for both. The differences come in the actual writing. Uh, There are very different mediums, even though they're both written. Uh, In a, uh, as succinctly as I can say this, in a movie, there is no such thing as being in the mind of the characters. There's just no such thing as that in a script. What people are thinking in a script must be conveyed by what they do or what they say. There's no such thing as he was thinking. You know, that just doesn't exist in a script. They're either doing it or saying it, right? In a movie, there's only two two ways to transfer information to the audience. What you see and what you hear, that's it. There's no other way to make the audience feel things, just what they see and what they hear. A novel is the opposite of that. You can spend, if you're a talented writer, pages, chapters inside the head of a character, one character. You could stop the story entirely and just stay in the mind of a character for as long as you're talented to keep someone reading. You can't do that in a movie. So those are drastically different skill sets for a writer. I'm fortunate uh, that I learned in television uh, how to write movies. So my, how, how you break up a television movie is into eight blocks, which is you know probably too technical now, but eight blocks. And for me, those eight blocks are just how I know how to tell a story. Uh, and they work for novels also, but what, what's happening within those blocks are very, very different structurally. So yeah, that's a big difference. So now I have many in television, the, the, the business is adaptation. Very, very unusual to have an original spec, speculative spec script made into a television movie. Very unusual. Oh, right. They are all based on some source material, either a novel or a 60 minutes segment or a newspaper story, or a magazine article, or some podcast, some thing, <laughs> some other source material that a producer 
purchased the rights to, optioned the rights to, and then sold to a network of some kind. Right. 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 That's how that goes. And then if you're lucky, you know, your name comes up as who can adapt that source material <clears throat> into a television movie script. Now, I don't think there are any writers uh, that I have ever heard of or met who uh, set out to learn how to write stories with commercial breaks. <laughs> right. Yeah. That That's is a really not good point. Would, nobody dreams of that. You know, yeah. I didn't go to Hollywood to learn how to write movies with commercial breaks in them. Mm -hmm. But uh, my first script, spec script, uh, which eventually got made as uh, a movie called The Lemon Grove, well, that was my title. It got made as A Season of Hope. It's what they called it with Joe Beth Williams, and Ralph Waite, and Stephen Lang, who became a very big actor too. Oh. Uh, that was my very first film. That I, I optioned that as a feature film, but it got eventually found its way to Hallmark. So mm -hmm. Paramount sold it to CBS, and CBS laid it off on Hallmark, and Hallmark made the movie. So I had to take my 125-page feature film and turn it into a 98 page script with commercial breaks. Wow. Gosh. And that was brutal, but mm. they made the movie and it did really well. And I got a lot of work out of that over the years. Uh, and so I was so lucky to learn how to do both to write features and television. And then to see that for me to transfer so seamlessly into beating out and then writing uh, a novel, I, I think I'm just, a, I'm very fortunate that way as a writer. Most, most writers don't work in all the, all the different media. That's yeah. really interesting, Rich, and I and I wonder if that's why, I mean, my experience of working with you was that you were incredibly um, open to, to responding um, to the comments of an editor and it's something that new writers sometimes struggle with but hearing you talk about how that, that kind of process of what you know you called it brutal when you when you're when you're moving from a, a, a the, the feature film to um a, a, you know, a 98 minute episode with um commercial breaks in it you you have to be you have to go grow a bit of a thick skin don't you Oh, I think the, the, the film business is, is a very difficult business. Uh, it's not for the lighthearted. Mm. Uh, it, it is a money first industry mm. and all decisions are made based on money, you know, uh, when you're, which is one of the things that after 25 years of it drove me to write uh, my first uh, novel, which is a Kate McCall crime caper called Work, uh, Workman's Complication. Mm -hmm. uh, that was after 25 years of notes meetings, you know, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I, 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 in the beginning, it, it is, they're all, it can be wonderful. Okay. But it is 25 years of being told what to write by people who are paying you to get that done. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's quite a different so, dynamic, isn't it, really? Yeah, very different creative dynamic. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, and, and the decisions are driven by what you could actually afford to shoot. So no matter what set you've written, no matter what city, no matter what the street looks like, no matter whatever <laughs> yeah. you've written, they tell you, well, we're shooting it in Canada. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So we can't have that. So we're actually going to be, we're not going to be on an aircraft carrier. We're going to be on just a, a tramp freighter. You know, whatever the reality is, your script must adapt. Yeah. And if you're being paid to write it, it is your job to adapt it. Uh, I think one of the reasons I was able to work as much as I did is because I understood that process. Uh, I understood that these were uh, financial decisions made by people who were my boss, oh, not one mm. person. You know, when I'm working with Louise, it's me and Louise. Yeah. yeah. Louise telling me what she thinks and she's wicked smart and I'm listening. But if it doesn't resonate, you know, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Denise, let me tell you a little story about um, when when Rich got back to me. You know, when you get that first, you you send the manuscript back to your your author, and yeah, and the um 
and you you wait for the for the how that author's going to respond to your editorial report and and your and your your edits and yeah. um so the, uh, you know the first time rich and i worked together so he uh, i saw his email pop up in my inbox and so i i opened it sort of a, a little bit a little bit <laughs> never know what to gone. expect yeah and, and um and he just cracked me up he made me laugh so much because you know he's so um uh, uh vivacious and everything mm -hmm. but he told me how I, I, and you might have to correct me here, um, Rich, but I think you said something like 90% of the time, yeah. you gave some stats like 90% of the time you were, you, you were like, yeah, we're on the same page, but there was, you did spend, I think, was it nine, 10% or 5% um, doing swearing, swearing <laughs> at me? Yeah, I think I was 90 and 10%. That's yeah. not a bad yeah. ratio for an editor, I reckon. That's pretty good going. <laughs> I, thought, I, I think it was great because, listen, if it's not your book, to be right about it 90% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Impressive. And uh, many of those were, you know, face, face, hand to hand to head, like, oh, my God, I wish I thought of that. I yeah. never knew that. I never saw that before. And that when I, when I say that Louise didn't just make my book better, which she did, I think she also made me a better writer because some of the things I said, well, I, I'm going to carry that forward. I'm going to always do that. Why wouldn't yeah. I always yeah. do that now that I see it? Uh, That's a wonderful thing for an editor to hear, actually. That um... It is. I'm glowing. <laughs> but, Rich, I'll tell you what, it, it shows that it just shows you it's that lesson that, that all of us know that you never stop learning, do you? Because you, you've got year, decades of experience writing. But there might be just a couple of little things where um, you just never thought about it before. Um, sure. Just, you know, and that's a, that's a really, really powerful thing for any new writers listening to this. I um, think that's well, good. To, I, hope, I hope so. Listen, I'm only so smart. There are lots of people smarter than me. And so it behooves me to zip it. And listen, because you never know where a great note is coming from. This is especially true in film, because you know, you're know you sitting in a room with three producers and an executive and the executive's assistant and the director and the director's assistant. And you know, there's eight people in the room giving you notes on the yeah. script you wrote. Yeah. And my job is to suss through those notes for the ones that will make the thing better. There are three kinds of notes, three in my opinion. One, the notes where you, you know, palm to head like, oh my God, that's amazing. I wish I thought of that. Those notes I'm inputting, you know, right away. No, yeah. no question about it. Those are going in. There are notes that are so off the mark. It's like, did they not, did they read a different script? These must be notes <laughs> yes. from some yes. other script. They have no, no bearing, no relationship to what anything I wrote. Those mm. notes I'm not addressing. That's done. Those are off to the side. Then there's the middle ground, which is style. There's nothing wrong with that note, but yeah. maybe it's not the right style. Maybe it's not right for the thing. I don't know yet. I have to think about that. I think it could be right. And if it does, what's the best way for me to incorporate that note into the script? Uh, and if it's not, then I won't, but I need to think about that. So the difference is point of view. In a movie, in a, in a script, I am thinking, how do I find a way to incorporate that? Because I think it could be right, but the style doesn't really fit what I'm doing. It's not really me. It doesn't really sound like me, right? In a movie, mm -hmm. I'm going to find a way, if I can, to incorporate that note. In a book, I just say, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's yeah. just not it's just, you don't and that's the thing. It's your book, isn't it? And 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 you've got control over that creative process in a way yes. that you because you don't have that boss. You're the boss. Yes. Yeah. Those, those notes are a question of taste. Both yeah. mm -hmm. are right. My the way I did it is right. The, but what this promoter, this what this producer is telling me is the same. It would work. It's just his way versus my way. Well, in a movie, his way wins because he's paying me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, it's, a it's, book, in a book, my way wins. Yeah. yeah, it's just amazing for 
to me to I don't work on fiction at all um Rich I work on non-fiction and so I'm always fascinated when I hear people talking about their, their fiction writing process but um and you know this concept of planners and pantsers and yes. and this the, the screenplay writing that you do is obviously so highly planned and so so much input from other people that there's no scope for you to be precious about it at all you have to move very quickly with it I would think and just um you know work towards what it is that the person that's paying you wants and, and not get overly attached to it would you do you feel that that's that's fair do, or do you get attached to it uh, well you know he, you, yes I'm gonna mm -hmm. I'll give you an example Alan mm -hmm. Silvestri is a very famous uh, film composer mm -hmm. probably top three in the history of film uh, and I, I, one time I was sitting with him uh, and he, I said, and I watched him score uh, Back to the Future. I was there oh, wow, right. watching, I was there watching, uh, <laughs> watching the orchestra, um, you know, an 80 piece orchestra record, it was Back to the Future 2, watching him mm -hmm. record, uh, watching them record, he, he was conducting yeah. the score. And, you know, I, I watched Robert Zemeckis would say, the director would say, Al, uh, I, I, that's not working for me. I, I, I want you to take that. <laughs> I want you to take the entire 80 piece orchestra and do it a different way, my way, right? Wow. And, I, and I, so at, at lunch, I said, I'd never seen that before. And I said, Al, you know, you wrote, you wrote it basically a symphony for this thing and you have 80 pieces out there and you have to change it on the fly. How do you do that? Mm. And he, I was I was so young, it's gotta be 30 years ago, 32 years ago, something like that. And he said to me, well, he said, Rich, I take off my composer hat and I put on my Al's diner hat. <laughs> said, what does that mean? He said, how do you want them? Scrambled, fried, over easy? Whatever Fantastic. you want. Yeah. However you want it, I can do it. What do you need? Yeah. And yeah. I, thought, I said, I'm gonna I gotta get myself a Rich's diner hat. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I did. And that's how I, I once once I've had the first draft of a, a thing, you know, they give you the story, they give you the source material, they say go for it. Or if you're doing a spec script, it's your own source material, however you're doing it. That first draft belongs to you. And it's the same feeling as writing a novel. It's all you. And once you finish a first draft of a script and hand it in, that's the end of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Take mm -hmm. off that hat and put on your Richie's diner hat. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then, and then, what do you want me to do? How, what are you guys thinking? I could yeah. do it. I mean, I'm not going to do anything super crappy. But if it's uh, if it's a question of taste, I'm doing it. If it's a right note, I'm doing it. The only notes that I'm going to push back are notes that it's like, what are you thinking? Mm. Yeah, like you yeah. think it might be damaging what they're suggesting. Oh yes, oh, yeah. I've had so many notes that were like that in my course of my career. I've been in hundreds of notes meetings, hundreds and hundreds, and uh, in every meeting, there's just one person who is really horrible at their job. <laughs> And you know it, and they everybody in the room knows yeah. it. They're, they're invested financially in the project, and they get a voice, and I I respect that. Uh, but I'm not doing that note. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's going to make it worse, not better. That you, oh, going to go ahead, sorry. Denise. Go I ahead. was just going to say that must mean that when when you write your novels, you must feel incredibly free because really, instead of having uh, a whole. Um, you know sort of room full of people you just have an ed you just have one editor that you're talking to um, yes. and that must be quite liberating for you I would think it is it's why I started to write novels in the first place mm -hmm. uh, you know a screenplay is all about economy of language minimal description if you can say a thing here's perfect perfect description of a script if you can say a thing in three words instead of four cut a word right there's no mm -hmm. there's no room for extra words that's it you're writing to a set number of pages you're writing you're not writing across the page in a movie you're writing down the page each page is a minute of screen time so you are putting a minute's worth of movie on a page that's so that's really interesting wow so, yeah so eventually you get a feel for that 
and it, it's become second nature. But in the beginning, when I read newer writers, they may have, you know, five minutes on that page or mm. 20 seconds on that page. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you get used to how a, pay, a correct screenplay page looks and feels, but you're writing down the page. And I, after 25 years of that, I wanted to be inside the character's head. Mm. Uh, I, I think this must be obvious to Louise because, you know, I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I will go inside my character's head with what they're thinking for an entire paragraph. Mm-hmm. And uh, Louise would often correct that and say, no, there's a, you could do it this way where it's still you telling the story with little snippets. And I, I didn't do those. I, I left them the way they are because I want to be in the head. I mm-hmm. want to hear that character thinking. I don't want it to be me right there. Yeah. Sometimes uh, so- it was because, just to explain, Denise, that I was, I felt that maybe Richard had hopped a little bit. Um, right. So it was I like did- we'd gone, we'd bounced. Yes. So, well, so he and I were sort of having this talk about point of view and omniscience and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And, and this now, is- I um, did, I did fix all of those because it, you are exactly correct, but I fixed them inside- you, in your, yeah. as opposed to not doing the thought yeah 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 as opposed to stepping outside i i, I yeah. love i love yeah. your approach rich can i ask you something that's related to that because um I, I was really interested when you were talking about that issue of a of a um writing down the page and i, I was wondering how much when you're writing a screenplay how much stage direction do you do you put on the on the page um you know in terms of as, people as from- much as, yeah, that's a great question. The answer is as as much as you need to convey the action required and the vibe, the feel of what you're after, and no more. Okay, so, so you know, you you you're you're always writing the least you can write, but still make the reader see it and feel it. You know, there's yep. no in, in a novel, you just I'm writing to please myself. Uh, I, I I write you know dark, funny books, and so if I'm entertaining <laughs> yeah, myself, do. I'll just I'll just keep going. But mm-hmm. you cannot do that in a movie. You you you're writing the the as e- economically as you can, but still fulfilling your obligation to make the reader. I'm going to have one other thing to add to this, to make the reader see it and feel it as a film. Now, uh-huh. in the process of that, you have to think of a, of a script as the blue, an architectural blueprint to go make the movie. All of the trades are using your script to build the movie. It's directly analogous to real estate in all ways. For instance, in real estate, you have a bank lending you money. In Hollywood, you you know, quote, you have the studios. In real estate, you will have a developer who sees a piece of land who says, I could do this. I got a great piece of land here. And then I and then I'm gonna go to an architect and get a building drawn, and then I'm gonna go to a bank and get some money, and then I'm gonna hire a contractor, and then I'm gonna hire subs. And a, a promote a producer is doing the same thing. Mm. I found a great story. I'm going to go to the studio or the network, and then I'm going to find a writer to write a script for me. And then I'm going to go and get a director to build it. And the director's going to get all his subs. And by the way, the subs are the same in both real estate and film. Carpenters, painters, electrician, drivers. You know, uh, yeah. it's the yeah. same. Directly analogous. So. Uh, if you think of it in terms of that, while you're writing the script, in addition to telling the story in the most economical way possible, you have to be conscious of the fact that you are writing, you are drafting a blueprint for the crew. So sound effects, for instance, if it's if if the sound effect is impactful enough to help tell the story then I'll capitalize it because there is some guy or a woman who's responsible for making that sound. Yeah, yeah. I get and then, that. Um, yeah, that's yeah. right. So what about um, what about character descriptions, Rich? How much detail would you go into with that? Again, minimal. Mm. I would 
the, the least amount of description I could put while still giving you a full feeling for who that character is. Uh, let's, let's have an That's example. quite a skill, actually, because really what you're being asked to do is provide just the bare bones, but still get the whole feeling of the screenplay across. Yes. You know, it's like you're, you're, you're providing a framework, but they still want to know what, what's going to hang on that framework without yes. you putting too much detail in it. That's correct. But again, it's, it's the more you do it, like anything else, the, the, mm -hmm. the better you get at it. Here, I, I'm going to read you the description for Nick Cage's character, Frank. Right. Okay. Yeah. Frank, jump, Frank jumps out of the truck, looks around at the encircling crowd. He's cleaned himself up but he's still as rough and raw as he can be. A half-chewed cigar hangs from his mouth and he blows clouds of stale smoke into the, year, into the air. Everything about him says he's a man in need of redemption. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, that has to be Nick Cage though. Did, I mean, yeah, yeah. do you ever yeah. write with somebody in mind when you're writing that sort of thing? Uh, Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Not that time, you know. Mm -hmm. he, he got Nick. I wrote the movie years ago, and uh, but he was perfect for it. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, uh, absolutely. And I didn't, I didn't have to do any adaptation for the character to suit Nick Cage. He, you know, he embodied Frank Walsh, oh. and mm -hmm. and I thought did a great job. So, uh, but but, 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 you, but you, a lot you, of other characters in that movie were Peruvian. And they shot the movie in Puerto Rico. So uh, that, that yeah. was no good. They all had to be Puerto Rican. You see what I mean? Yeah. 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 But interestingly, when you're with your novel writing, which is what I'm more familiar with, um, you're still, despite your maybe your own sense of um, yes. having more scope to um, write as much as you want, I actually think you're the some of the, the power in your writing is that you do make every word count i found your your writing's like a roller coaster you don't waffle you just get it's bang 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 and i think that i don't know maybe maybe you've been influenced maybe that's helped you hone your novel craft because sometimes i think that novel inexperienced novelists can come unstuck because they feel they have to write everything whereas you're very good at taking that skill that you probably have had that that you know you've said you've had to hone um when it comes to screenplays you're actually using that skill whether you realize it or not I, I, novels. Do, I do realize it you're exactly correct and i do realize it mm. uh, i can't help it i am a hollywood kid i cut <laughs> my teeth there i learned how to write there i had really smart people giving me notes for 30 years I, I wrote movies for a long time before I ever wrote a novel and I can't help it. Now, I, I think I'm a, I, I can write a longer story. I can be in the characters' heads. I can take a little more time, but I can't help who I am. And, and that it, you are exactly right, Louise. That is how I write. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and, and, and keep doing that because um, I just think, that, again, this is another great lesson for, for beginner authors. Um, if, <sighs> don't use more words than you need try and use the right words because that's another thing that i think i mean that example you you read of the 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 the, the description for frank there um using words with the sort of like heaven in the grain of sand you know where you can capture someone's personality just by a few words uh, yeah. or a few, a few sentences yes. and just um it, it enables the reader of a novel to do the work so that they they can imagine they don't need to be told every single little thing because you've given them enough and and yes. it's such yeah. a powerful thing. I try to say I try uh, to say only what's important for me to convey. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what I shoot for. I, I I'm not always as good at it in a novel. Uh, in a screenplay, it's second nature. You know, I just say, oh, that's not going in there. <laughs> <laughs> Does it really matter what color his shoes are? You know, yeah. they're never gonna, yeah. they're not even gonna point the camera down at the shoes. It doesn't even matter. Uh, does it really matter if it's a Mustang or if it's a Camaro in a movie? No, it doesn't matter because they're gonna get whatever car they can get. Yeah. So, you know, you just, it's, it's that sort of 
point of view. You're just writing what's oh. absolutely most important. But in a novel, if I want it to be a Mustang, it's a Mustang. It's a Mustang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting that that discipline um, of the screenplay writing about how concise you have to be um, seems to inform your, your novel writing by making you choose from what Louise is saying, um, very p powerful words that do a lot of the lifting you know you're you're not using mm. as you said before you're not using four words when you can use three you're not using three when you can use one and um, so your 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 vocabulary i suspect is um is loaded with 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 powerful descriptive words that that do the work of that perhaps a less experienced writer would take a whole sentence to say I hope it, uh, that's the hope. Yeah. The other thing, <laughs> well, Rich, knows. The, Rich, the other thing Rich does is he um he plays with literary devices um um very effectively. So things mm -hmm. like he uses free and direct speech, or he uses alliteration, um mm -hmm. and because his books are sort of they're they're dark but they're co they're they're comic and mm -hmm. quite satirical. Um, it gives them a, he he plays with uh, um. Prose, I'm going to have to raise my hand here, Louise, and say you know nonfiction editor here free indirect speech you're going to have to remind me what that is oh so that's when you use a third person narration style but it's got the essence of first person right so it, it, it sounds like when you read it it, it sounds like it, it's what someone's thinking it's that, right that rawness of that that essence of a first person thought but it's written in a standard third person um narration style so you know yeah. Okay. I, and, and I, I, don't, I don't think I consciously do that. What I consciously do, the decision I've, I've made, is I want to tell the story, me. Huh. I want to tell this story. Now, I'm telling it from the point of view of my characters, however many times I feel like doing that. I did Johnny and, in this book, Cooking for Cannibals, Johnny and Carrie most of the time, but also some of the bad guys got first person uh, uh, Third, me telling the story through their eyes yeah, yeah. but, it, but mm -hmm. in every case I want to tell the story I like telling stories now the McCall series is written in pure first person I'm writing as Kate McCall uh, which is the reason there's only going to be four books because I'm tired of it uh, I love <laughs> I love Kate McCall I love the characters I love the world but I I don't want to keep writing in first person i i like to tell the story mm -hmm. yeah uh, yeah and you're you you can hear your voice i think in cook, cooking for cannibals um uh, it, no that there is that that kind of slightly um omniscient feel to some of the pa um some of the passages when and 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 you make it work but i think it's that's part of that is to do with the kind of roller coaster feel of your writing um but anyway rich just keep on doing what you're doing right? <laughs> Let me ask you something. Um, editing, does the process, I, I know what the process, what, what you go through to get your, your, your novels edited. What about screenplays? Do you get screenplays edited? Does that happen? Yeah. Is that a thing? Uh, it's not a thing, uh, you know, because many people who write screenplays are terrible writers. And it's really unimportant. As long as you can see and mm. feel the action and if they've written good dialogue then it doesn't matter if the sentences are correct or incorrect or whatever now i i definitely have uh and way before i ever wrote novels i had a beta readers a team of people you know small group of four people who read every script i ever wrote to make sure that i didn't screw it up too bad but the editing process uh, really happens in the notes meeting because mm. it's, you know they change it, but you don't in movies you don't hire an editor. At least I never did. Yeah. Uh, so the focus is really on the storytelling rather than the. Yes. Not yeah, on the that's that's the key thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in in novels, you know, it's inconceivable to me that I I wouldn't have uh, more than one editor. You know. Uh, mm -hmm. or, or an editor and a proofreader after mm -hmm. the editing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, definitely. I mean, we, we always advise that. It's very few writers can come through a, a, a line edit and be ready to go. Yes, yeah. agree. agree. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I need, you know, I require lots of help and I, I think other writers probably do also. 
uh, my book got cleaner and tighter and smarter and faster and better after the edit, it better. And then I had it proofread to see, you know, because I'm sure I made mistakes incorpororating the notes. Yeah, and I missed, and I'm sure I missed, I missed little typos here and there. I'm sure I did because, you know, when you're focused on whether, when there's an editor, you're and Denise, this is the same for Denise and I both, whatever type of prose your um type of writing you're working with, when you're so immersed in the in the the, the story or the subject matter, um, you're not going to hand it back perfect. You're just not. You know, as an mm-hmm. editor, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're not. So I think it's not. And then and then you you're you become a, a lesser version of, you know, how lost I am. You know, my my nose is up against the trees. <laughs> There's no possibility I can see that things that are wrong. My brain now accepts is right. You know, yeah. Yeah. The, the word the twice in a row. My brain doesn't even see that anymore. Yeah. I go. Yeah. Yes. You see and once, once you have read the book as thoroughly as me, some of that <laughs> is true yeah, yeah. of you. Yeah, so absolutely. That's why, that's why it takes a proofreader after that, which is what I did for Cooking for Cannibals. Yeah, that's excellent. Good. Rich, um, can I ask you um, a question about uh, when you're writing screenplays? Um, at what point um, is that out of your hands entirely? I mean, you've, you've talked about being in um, notes meetings. Are you involved in the making of the movie all the way through it to adapt the script? Or is it once you've sold it, do people just, are they free to do what they want with it? Or does that so, vary? No, it's a good question. It's, and, and there's more than one question in that question. Yeah. So <laughs> if you've written a spec script, meaning I sat down, I had an idea, I wrote a script, I own the script. And then my agent goes around with that script and hopes that somebody wants to option it or buy it or something. As soon as somebody does, they own that script. Right. I no longer own it. I now work for them. If I have a really good agent and if I'm more advanced in my career, I may get a chance to do the second draft or the third draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that whoever bought the rights is within their right to say, give me another writer. Right. I, I know you made it up, but now you're fired. Give me somebody else. Gosh. Yeah, right. it's, it, uh, it is a heartless, heartless. Yeah. yeah. like that brutality thing you mentioned. Uh, wow. So that, that's one thing. Then the other thing is for the, for the television movies, they hire you to write a certain number of drafts. Mm-hmm. And you get paid in the stages of delivery for each draft. And because the television movie is so based on financial economy, it's it's unusual for them to get another writer in TV. Right. In Hollywood, it, where where uh, sort of uh, prestige is the money, you know, uh, coolness is cachet is the is the coin. Uh, you know, it's cool to have hired three writers. Right. If you're you're the executive. No, no, I had three of the best writers in Hollywood work on this script. You know, that's very cool. In TV, it's no, no, one writer, that's how much money we got. That's what we're going to do. They may make you write more drafts till you, they get it just the way you get it just the way they want it. But most of the time, not all the time, most of the time in TV, if you're competent and further advanced, I guess, uh, it's one writer. Right. Oh, really that's really interesting. And and I, and I think you're going to find two questions in this one question as well. So <laughs> I was going to ask you, how long does it take to get a movie made from idea to script to production? I mean, and does that differ between TV and and uh, it does yeah, differ. Yeah, feature film. Uh huh. There's no there's no formula for uh, for feature films. Feature films is is a political business. There's plenty of money involved, but it's a political business. So if a studio uh, has made a deal with Brad Pitt and they owe Brad Pitt a movie and they send Brad Pitt a script finally and Brad Pitt says, yeah, I'll do that one. That movie's in production. Here we go. Brad Pitt said, yes, we're making this movie. Uh, And maybe that script was written last week. Or maybe that script was written was written ten years ago, 
but they're not making the movie until Brad Pitt says, yes, I'm making that movie. You know, if he says... Right, he so it could take literally... Dec- it could take a decade, depending on, you know... My movie Primal yeah. took 25 years. Wow, good goodness. <laughs> you do hear you, stories of them being handed around from one production company to another, don't you? So, oh, you yeah. If an option runs out, then mm-hmm. there's new... Uh, knew somebody else I made money off that script for 25 years and then final and then finally Nick Cage got attached and once Nick Cage says he'll make your movie you're making a movie you know and and during it's that, that during that process Rich when, it, when it's you know it's optioned by one production company can they get quite far down the road of production and then their option time runs out and it's up for grabs again. Is that how it works? Well, if they're fair, rare, really far down the road, you'll just renew their option. Right, right. It's when, it's and how long does an option when, last for? Well, it can be any anything, a year, a year and a half, two years. Okay. It can be any, any, any amount. Uh, they can pay for options. They can be free options. It's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's the Wild West out there. You're and, a patient man, though. And, uh, well, you, you just move on, you know, mm, yeah. to the next project. That, you know, they, these things take a life of their own. They're all your little children and off you go, primal, off you go. And <laughs> luckily for me, people option, it was a, it's a great script. Uh, when I wrote it, there, the technology didn't exist to make the movie, but the story is so rocking good that people said, I could do it. I could get this made. And yeah. they would option it. And then they couldn't get it made. Because technology didn't exist. And then finally, the technology caught up to the story. And then Nick Cage said he would do it. And that's the end. Then you're making a movie. He's such a, he's such a massive star. As soon as he says, yeah, I'll be in that. Okay, here we go. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So during that process, Rich, you said that you, you were making money off it for 25 years. Every time that got optioned, you then therefore got a fee for it, even though nothing yeah. was done with it. Right. Yes. Right. Yes, yes. Now it's not uh, it's not uh, enough money to not work. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a and and sometimes it's a free option. But I, I was fortunate in that I always got some money. You know, yeah. would be, this year there'd be some money, and next year there'd be some money, and then three years later there'd be some money. Not <laughs> I still have to work. You know. Sure. Uh, yeah. But that's a nice little bit of income from having yeah. already done that and yeah. just waiting for something to happen with it. Yeah. yeah. In feature films, there are people who that's how they make a living. They just are optioning. They have five scripts that are being optioned all the time. And uh, if they option four of them that year, you know, they're going to be <laughs> able to pay all the rent. Uh, it's really hard to get a feature film made. Really right. hard. All the politics have to fall in line. And that is a really hard thing to do. It's much easier in television because when I was working a lot in television, there you know, it's just this endless maw. They needed mm-hmm. so much, and sort of like Netflix now. There's an, mm. endless, there's an endless need for product now in television. Uh, it's still not in feature films. You, you know, they make giant comic book movies, you know, Marvel comic book movies now, mm. and DC comic book movies. And then, you know, it's, it's, you can count them on one hand, the filmmakers who are allowed to make, you know, really sort of artistic, great stories. Everybody else is doing, re, you know, making remakes and prequels and sequels. And, yeah. you know, they made the actual opening Spider-Man movie three times. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not, not the prequel and the sequels. No. Like the actual. Yeah, yeah. The same film. Yeah. They, yeah. They made the same film again, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's a it's a really hard, challenging business, the feature film business. Mm-hmm. I I got really lucky to hook up with a group of executives and producers and directors and actors and agents in television, and so I had a really good, strong career writing television movies, mm-hmm. uh, many of which got made. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty, if you can look around and say, I got a movie made, that's a career. You can say, I had a career, I got a movie made. If you had two movies made, that's like pretty good. How about four? You'd be saying, really? Four movies made you had? That's unheard of. How about eight? Eight? No way you had eight movies made. (laughs) And I had 18. So that's a, a, a lot of movies to get made. 
Mm. It's partly because I'm good at it, but it's mostly because I got lucky. I got really lucky. Right. <sighs> Rich, you've written, I mean, you kind of alluded to this just a moment ago. You've written a lot of family drama, but as I know, your novels paint a rather different picture of the kind yes. of stories you like to tell. Um, so tell me, which which do you enjoy more? The crazy, oh, dark, wild thrillers or yes. emotionally charged family drama? drama or I, I murder like mysteries? <laughs> I like both. I, I also write romantic comedy, uh, which I like very much. I love writing family drama. Uh, I, like, I write really good action movies, I think. Um, Primal is an action movie, an action <laughs> thriller. Uh, left to my own devices, I'm going to write a crazy dark movie. I love that. I, I, I love to start with a high concept. Uh, again, I'm a Hollywood kid. I, I make no apologies. It's, you know, you are who you are. Mm. You learn where you learn. So I, I, I love it when I have a concept, a high concept that is just so completely insane. And then I fill the world in around that characters, action, and I love it dark. I don't know why. I'm a, somewhere between Quentin Tarantino and Monty Python. <laughs> Which is basically another way of saying Nick Cage and a boatload of wild, wild animals. <laughs> <laughs> except that, except there's no, it, it's, that movie's not meant to be funny, even though there's no such thing as drama without humor and no <laughs> such thing as humor without drama. Uh, <laughs> But that movie, and so there are lighter moments in Primal, but that movie is yeah. not meant to be funny. No, no, so no, no, not like your book was. Yes, Cooking for Cannibals is meant to be funny. It's funny, <laughs> it's meant to be. It's supposed to be silly and funny at the same time. You're supposed to be saying, how can I be laughing at this? I know, it's, it's well, look, why don't you give us a quick summary? So, because it's, it, it, I think you'll do it better justice than, you know. I don't go know. On, you, go. You know, you know it as well as I do at this point. Uh, I think it, it's a high concept, uh, dark comic thriller. And the concept is that a drug is invented that profoundly reverses the aging process. Not a little, profoundly. And instantly, meaning overnight. If you take the drug and you're 94, when you wake up the next morning, you're 44. And right. not just 44, but the best 44 that you can possibly imagine. The fastest, strongest, brightest, shiniest hair, clearest eyes. It's, the, it's unbelievable, the drug. So you start with that high concept and then I fill it in. So it's the story of uh, a woman who works in the lab where that drug is invented. It took six years, tons of iterations, and she's the behavioral gerontologist. She understands old people. And they're trying to make a drug that reverses the aging process. And she is an expert with rats. She knows how to read the rats who are being, being tested over the time with all the different iterations. Well, finally the drug works and she steals it from the lab. There's only one vial of pills in the iteration that worked and she steals it. And she brings it to the retirement home where her mother lives and she gives it <laughs> to the residents. There are 11 of them and she gives them the drug and watching them come to life younger is hilarious and dark because the drug comes with an unknown side effect. And the, un yeah. the unknown mm. side effect is can cannibalism. We, yeah, just, just about to say, can we guess what it is from the title <laughs> of the book? <laughs> I, I always tell people, I, I'm sure I told Louise when I emailed her, I, you I'm, I'm just warning you, I'm not kidding with that title. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I said, you, he said, I hope, I hope you won't, you know, that this isn't going to offend you. And I said, you're going to need to have to work a little bit harder than that. <laughs> and then, um, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and then I, I love romance. I, I, I find romance to be hilarious. And, uh, and so there's a great romance in, in, all books that I, in any book I write, there'll be a romance. 
Oh, just... you really do like writing lots of different genres, don't you, Rich? I, yes, I do. Yeah. I, I like, I, I like, I'm an entertainer. I'm a storyteller. I don't think I'm a great writer. I don't know that I could ever write a literary novel. There are Richard Ford, I, I, one, you know, John Irving, Philip Roth. I, I'm nowhere near their level of writing, I, but I'm a really good storyteller. I know how to tell a story. And not everybody and, wants to read literary fiction anyway. I, I don't know. I don't know. That uh, I don't think, I don't think, well, I don't, I, that's not how I usually choose. To, I like commercial fiction i like i like fast-paced stuff and well, i like lots of different genres but not everybody you don't need to i think this is a thing you know yeah it's a bit writers, literary snobbery the yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and writers shouldn't feel the need to you know that doesn't say it doesn't mean you're a bad writer because you can't i i know who i am i'm mm -hmm. not as smart yeah. as they are and i'm not as good a writer but i'm as good a storyteller i tell yeah. as good a story. i yeah. feel like i tell as good a story as anybody and I, I know because of my years in Hollywood that I write killer dialogue. I yeah, rarely, I rarely read a novel, even with by great writers, where I read that dialogue and go, man, that guy's good. I write great dialogue. Uh, dialogue is as much music as it is writing. And uh, I love writing dialogue. Uh, and I, I spent 30 years doing it in you know, Los Angeles and I, I just love doing it. I'm, and I'm what a... you what you do well with it, Rich, is that you don't fall into that trap of making it too real, as in, you know, like the boring stuff that people say at bus stops and stuff. You well, know, you, you you just you get rid of that. You, you 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 make every word of your dialogue count so that it drives story forward. And yes, that's exactly right. It's one of the first things you learn learn in story in screenwriting is, you know, avoid the conversations of, do you want cream in it? Yeah, 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 yeah. How about, yeah. How about sugar? Unless the cream is poisoned and you've yeah. already seen it poisoned, why are we talking about cream and sugar? Yeah, exactly. that's so true. What's lovely, Rich, is that you you may have been doing this for thirty years, but you still sound incredibly enthusiastic about it. Like you just love what you do. That that really comes across talking to you. Oh, I'm glad. I do still love to write and. Uh, mm -hmm. I, when people say, you know, what, what is it you love? And I, I say, sentences. Okay. I love sentences. <laughs> I love <laughs> writing a great sentence and go, oh, that's a great sentence. That's just exactly the sentence I wanted. I love that still. Is that nuts? I've been doing it for 35 years and I still, <laughs> still love to write. Sentences. So what sentences have you got coming out? What's, what, what, what can we expect? Because like, look, cooking for cannibals, hang on to your hats. You know, that, that's, that's, that's a great thing to, to, for anybody to go and read. But what's next so, in the world of Rich? Uh, the fourth and final book in, it's actually called The Fourth and Final Kate McCall Crime Caper, which is uh, titled Gotti Guard. Uh, <laughs> all the titles have a cute little title. All the books have a cute little title. Workman's Complication. Swollen identity, <laughs> emboozlement, and Gotti Girl. See where this and, is going. Yeah, and she's really great character, and is surrounded by great characters. And I, 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 I wrote so many sort of murder mysteries for for Hollywood that I love doing it. I'm I'm kind of good at it, and. Uh, and so that's what these are. And so I'm more than halfway through that book. Uh, it's my intention to have that book completely done by my birthday, which is this coming July 25th. Mm -hmm. um, and that means having worked with Louise again and having, you know, I've already done the cover for that book. And then I'll be done with that series. Uh, there's a character in that series that I would like to continue to write about. Uh, Lou Logan, mm -hmm. detective. And I think I could have a good Lou Logan series for him one day. But I have uh, multiple crazy ass books that I want to write. Uh, <laughs> multiple. Uh, you know, the, often the title will come to me uh, and, and then I'm chewing on that title. Uh, and I'll give you two of them. Two of the next oh, nice. books I'll write. Uh, one is called 
extraterrestrial sex object. <laughs> these are dark. These are dark comics. <coughs> uh, Louise can attest that I also like sex, and uh, and then an, the other one is called "Everyone Who Gets the Dog Dies." I love that. Title. Oh wow! <laughs> I love that title. You're never going to run out of ideas, are you, Rich? No, Ever. I don't, I hope not. I, I haven't yet. I'm knocking on wood here. I haven't yet. Uh, I, I, I've done many other things in my life in addition to writing novels and movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I generally lose interest after a year or two of doing them. For instance, I was the editor of a magazine. I did that for four years, 48 issues in a row. Uh, and that's all, so I, I like nonfiction also. I love editing nonfiction mm-hmm. and structuring it. I don't enjoy writing it as much. Mm-hmm. But I love to read it. Uh, so I've done many other things, but the constant in my life is writing fiction. I'm a, I'm a fiction writer and the crazier and darker, you know, the, the sillier and funnier, the better. And I think all those things go together. Silly, funny, dark, crazy. That's all the same book for me. That's fantastic. (laughs) Rich, what would you you say? Is there a particular moment or several moments in your writing career that you found, in addition, you know, aside from the stuff we've talked about, that you found especially impactful? Yes. Uh, Yes. So I had been writing and had made several movies already, uh, television movies, uh, in, in, uh, but I was you know, much younger then. And uh, maybe my, my kids were, I don't know, three or four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, it's a lot of years ago. Uh, my kids are 28 now. Uh, <laughs> and, so, and so I was working and everybody was telling me you know, that I was good at this and, and more work was coming in and I had a hot agent and all of, I, you know, I was living the life. When you hear about the Hollywood life, that was me. I was living it, hmm. uh, but I didn't feel it. I didn't, I didn't feel I belonged. I didn't have the confidence that m- the people I was working with that they had. Uh, I just didn't have it. And then uh, and, I, and I'm sure that's because I hadn't earned it, right? But I, I definitely knew that I didn't have it. So I would sit in a meeting and not be intimidated, but I would be in my what I would consider my second fiddle place. That's where I belonged, you know? I felt like an outsider a bit. Well, I, I was working. I didn't, not really outsider, but not on their level. They were above okay. me. Those people were above right. me. I'm working for them. Uh, they're above me. And then I made a movie called uh, The Last Brickmaker in America. And it starred, it starred Sidney Poitier. And the whole, uh, the whole genesis of this project was, was uh, unique to, to television. Uh, I got a, 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 back when people used to fax things, uh, I got a fax. <laughs> From, a, from a, a producer who I loved and work with and still love and work with. Uh, and it was the picture of this really old, and I mean 90-year-old black man holding a brick, a handmade brick. And I looked and the, it was black and white out of a fax machine. And I had to sit down because that picture just knocked me off my feet. And I said, I got to make up a whole movie about this guy. And so I did, and I wrote a treatment. And I said, I know who I want to play this guy. And I had made a few movies already. So it's not like I had no juice, I had some juice. So I could call and I said, I'm the writer or my agent called and say, Rich would like to pitch to Sydney's agent, you know, called CAA. And CAA would say, yeah, we'll take that pitch because I had made some movies. And I went in and I pitched to Sydney Poitier's agent and I left my two-page treatment, and you know, a couple of weeks later, I we got a phone call that said Sydney would like to see five pages, Ooh. and so I wrote five pages and I delivered them, and then Sydney would like to see ten pages, and so I wrote ten pages, and we got a note back: Sydney would like to see twenty pages, a twenty-page treatment, 
and I did it because he, Sydney wanted it. And I, yeah, did, yeah, yeah. and I did it. And then Sydney said, I am now attached to this project. To which CBS said, you're in pre-production, brother. You have Sydney Poitier, <laughs> you're in pre-production. Here we go, write the script. So I wrote the script and had to go through all the notes and all of that. And, and then finally, we're shooting the script and uh, they wanted to shoot the script in, Cal in, in Canada. And I said, you know, no, the red clay is in North Carolina. The guy lived in Winston-Salem and I went to his house in Winston-Salem. I lived in Winston-Salem for a little bit to write the movie, uh, which is a thing I did often for movies. And uh, I told Sydney, no, you can't do that. You have to shoot it in North Carolina. And Sydney said, Sydney said, I, I wasn't there for any of this, but Sydney told the producers, Sydney told the network and the producers, I wish you the best of luck shooting this movie in Canada, but I will not be there. Oh, gosh. To which they said, oh, no, we're shooting the movie in North Carolina. And they <laughs> did. And they shot it in Winston-Salem. Uh, anyway, I went to the set. So none of this is still that moment that changed sort of my life, changed my view of myself as a screenwriter. Uh, that moment came when we were working on Sidney's part, working on his character in the movie. And it was just me and him sitting across a table from each other, talking about his character. And half of me wanted to just reach my hand out and touch his face because he's so impossibly smart and handsome and godlike. And part of me just wanted to touch his face. And the other part of me said, no, dude, you're the writer. And I had to say, you know, Sydney, I see your point, but you're not right about that. You're just not right about that. And we would talk about it and I would make my case and he would say, ah, I see what you're saying there. And that makes good sense to me. And that exchange with him changed my own standing in my soul for who I was and how I could behave for the rest of my career. So wow. that, was, that was an impactful moment. Uh, oh, there's, there's, that's all true. Uh, I, yeah. I, and then there's one more, if I have time. Absolutely. You have time, go you for it. You have time, yeah. Uh, there, there wasn't, uh, an, I'm not going to mention names this time. There was a very, very well-known television movie actor. Uh, he had done, cool God, I don't know how many, tons of television movies. And uh, I wrote a movie for him, or not for him, I wrote a movie that he liked and said he would be in. And much like Sydney, as soon as this guy says he's making the movie, you know, you're making the movie. And then they got some other actors who are also really good actors. And so we're making this movie and I didn't go to this one. Uh, I wasn't invited to go. This director didn't want the writer there, which was fine uh, and, and normal actually. If the director's my friend, I can go to the set. If the director's not my friend, really, if the director's the writer is a threat to the director unless the director knows you and you're the friend and knows yeah. that you know how to like behave. Like right. yeah. So this director didn't really know me and trust me to how to I would behave there and would rather not have me there. Even didn't dislike me, just I'm a writer. Uh, anyway, this actor could not get the character, could not get it. So they, we had a conference call, I'm on the phone and he's going on and on and on and he's just way off he doesn't understand and the producer is in the room and the director is in the room with him with the actor and finally i said i'm not going to use names i say i said dude you can keep talking or you can be quiet and let me tell you who the character is dead silence on the other end of the phone. And he said, go ahead. And I told him 
what that moment was and who that character was. And he accepted it and took it. And that, and both uh, the, the, the producer called me later and said, you know, the director says, you're welcome if you'd like to come to the set. And, uh, you know, everybody loves you now. <laughs> <laughs> but I could not have had that moment were it not for me sitting across the table from Sidney Poitier. Yeah, and yeah. sort of finding yourself and finding your your yes, like yes. that getting rid of that second fiddle feeling. Yeah, and having yeah. having the confidence and um, yeah, being yeah. So th those are all true stories. I you know I don't uh, I've had a long career, so I've met tons and tons of people. I'm not particularly a name dropper, but that one name changed my life. So I, mm. I don't. I it's don't worth dropping. You're allowed to drop Sydney Poitier's name yeah. whatever yeah. you like. Yeah, you can. <laughs> I don't mind dropping that one. Yeah, you know, definitely. He cha changed my life. That guy changed my life. That's so lovely to hear. It really he is. He sounds great. like he's a real gentleman, actually. He is yeah. a gentleman. Oh my gosh! Yeah. One tape. One we were one we were headed off going to a movie, or going to a meeting or something coming, and we we stepped just me and him on an elevator, and the doors open and three. Uh, women from the who were just staying in the hotel where the movie was staying they must know he's there three black women step in the, they're all not elderly but older than me in their 50s and they step on the elevator and you know he's just off the charts godlike and they're just like oh my god we love you we love you oh, oh we love you so much can we be in your movie and he says, ladies, were I to put you in a movie with me, all the audience could look at would be you. Oh. oh. <laughs> and the doors heart. open and he got off and they all are like, they're crying. <laughs> never forget that. All the audience would be able to see would be you. Oh, oh. how lovely. <laughs> Rich, that is a lovely note to end on, I think. I mean, we could talk all night and maybe we can get you back in the future to, to talk about writing craft again because I think there's a lot more to stay um, if you'll come back to us. Oh, are you kidding? Yes. You will have edited uh, Gotti Guard by then. Excellent. We'll talk about that. That'd be great. So that's it for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can rate, review and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever platform you prefer. Yep. Thank you so much for listening to the editing podcast. She's been Louise. She's been Denise. And he's been Rich. Rich, thank you again for joining us. It was an absolute joy. I had a blast. Join Bye -bye. us again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah,